Welcome to the CBD Ed Show with Ed Cheney, a CBD industry expert and business executive. In this program, we will discuss the uses of CBD and other methods of treatment that are alternatives but also complement conventional medicines. Now, here is your host, Ed Cheney. Welcome, listeners, to the CBD Ed Show. I'm your host, Ed Cheney, along with the wonderful and calming Kimberly Rose. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Ed. Hey, hey. Always appreciate you being on the show with us, Kimberly. Today's topic, the journey to create sweet dreams. It's an alcohol-free adult drink made with THC. Now, for our listeners, this was a really good story. So the brand, all of it was really interesting. But to Kim and I, this was near and dear to our purpose. We all, both Kim and I believe in cannabis being something that has many, many benefits to all of us and very few side effects or problems as, as, as we know, unless you're, you know, excessive or overusing it, it's, there's really none. Okay. So we came across this product and because we believe in the benefits cannabis offers us and maybe not so much with alcohol, especially if it's, you know, excessive or binge drinking or, you know, over a long span then becomes another problem, a habitual problem. So we really like that cannabis is standing out again against maybe some things that aren't so good for us. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great idea. Um, I have never tried a THC uh, beverage of any type, and so I'm I'm actually looking forward to giving this a shot. Bill's going to let us know where to get one. Good, good. Yes, yep. I'm interested. All right. Well, let's let's move into uh, introduction of Bill Gibbs. Okay, he has served as president of the University of Phoenix and senior vice president of the Apollo Group. Now, from 1985 to 1998, and led the company from a privately owned business to a NASDAQ publicly traded company. And that is quite a journey. And then in 2012, he transitioned to the cannabis industry and founded Urban Greenway Dispensaries in Phoenix and served as its CEO until he sold the company to Harvest Health and Recreation in 2019. A little background on Bill Gibbs. And Bill, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Ed. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really uh, feeling great that we can share this story and the brand uh, with our listeners, uh, because I have a feeling there's a lot out there that might feel the same way we do. We're of age now, and alcohol has definitely played a lot of roles in our life, and we sometimes look back and go, hmm, maybe a little too much. Yes, definitely. We, uh, we definitely have consumed alcohol. <laughs> I've said it many times on the show. I love my glass of wine. And uh, this is, I, I'm, again, I'm interested. I think yeah, this is I, a great idea. And I think our listeners are going to love this story. Yeah. So, hey, Bill, how about we start with the inspiration behind the product? Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm kind of an older American. Ed is, as I hate to say it, so do you kind of look on the Zoom call. So <laughs> as we've talked about, um, and I love alcohol myself, I love to drink. But yeah. as you get older, it becomes much harder to tolerate it. And um, as a result, I was looking for something to kind of wean myself from that um, product into something different. And the cannabis drink I mean, it seems like a natural, but it was fraught with a bunch of difficulties to overcome to make it popular. Even today, cannabis drinks account for less than 1% of total cannabis sales. So it's not wildly popular. Um, and we know the reasons because it, they don't particularly taste very good. And the edible effect is so long to have, a, have an impact but who wants to take a drink and then wait two hours to feel something? So now that seems important. Yes. Yes. So. That's, that's very important. So, so the impetus behind this for me was personal really. And that was to come up with some um, product that I could use that I also felt could be a good business um, that other kind of people and, and, and young people and older people would gravitate toward. And that was this product. Mm-hmm. 
I love the start. I, 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 you'd be absolutely honest. I'm really surprised that the market's not flooded with this product. Well, I, I think that you, you mean you mean THC drinks in general or our particular product? Your particular product. Well, we, we just kind of started. I mean, you know, this was a journey that I <clears throat> that I took me almost a full year to perfect the to get over the taste um, the taste aspect of it. And I think, and I, I told you that when we started, I thought I was simply going to get some dealcoholized wine from southern from Northern California or some vineyards here in Arizona, add some THC to it, and voila, there would be my drink. And mm -hmm. of course, there were several problems with that. The first one <clears throat> is that, and I think I asked you this, and, and you had not had had um, uh, dealcoholized wine before, but as soon as you try it, and I tried literally every brand out there, and there was not, it, it's not just bad, it's awful, it's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, you, you can't, once you take the alcohol out of the wine, you apparently they also take some of the tannins and some other stuff they have to out of it. And uh, it's not like decaf coffee. I mean, you can't tell the difference between decaf coffee okay. and regular coffee, but man, can you tell the difference between dealcoholized wine and, and regular wine? So once that was the first hurdle that they had to overcome and that, you know, I hired flavored labs, I hired food scientists. And finally I just ordered every fruit juice and every kind of grape and anything I could get my hands on literally over a hundred, put them on the kitchen table. And then I had a friend who was a sommelier and uh, he came over and we just started mixing different things until we found something that was pretty good. Okay. And of course, then the problem was you had the, the THC to it. And it's not very good. So now we had to figure out how to overcome that with what flavor profiles we could put in there to, to make that work. And so uh, we got that to work. And um, that took care of the, 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 the flavor issue with it. So you're, not, you're never going to have a glass of this drink and go, oh, that's the best wine I've ever had. But you're also, it is a very low threshold. It's just not awful, right? Okay. So people, that's the first thing when, when they try it is they're very surprised at how good it tastes, which was the first hurdle. <clears throat> and then the second quarter or second hurdle was to overcome this issue of um, how long cannabis takes ingested to have a, have an impact uh, on your system. And what happened? Go ahead. Can we, can we finish up with the flavor first? Sure. Uh, I think, I think both our listeners and Kim and I can probably add some questions. Uh, one is, um, so Kim, I would assume that once you take THC, it also activates your appetite. Sure. Food tends to taste better. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, if, if has that come up yet, Bill? Well, yes, yes, in, in a way. Okay, so here, here I, I'll try not to get too scientific, but when you smoke THC or distillate, it's delta nine goes right into your system. Mm -hmm. Okay, when you ingest THC, THC goes in through finally into your bloodstream when it gets through your small intestine in your bloodstream goes to your liver where it's no the delta nine is converted to 11 hydroxy THC. So it's literally a different THC going to your head. Okay. That's why they talk about a body high um, of an edible versus a euphoric high of smoking. And so you, it's much more of a relaxed, much more like an alcohol feeling, honestly. Um, so it's different. It's, it's not the same okay. as, as what you're, what you're saying. Okay. So you're not going to get the munchies. After you have a no, no, I, but what I'm really saying it's different, okay? okay. And so, just like everybody reacts differently to uh, when you smoke THC or cannabis, um, that if you get the munchies when you smoke cannabis and now you take an edible, it doesn't mean that you're going to get the munchies when you take you might, but right. you might not because you just don't know until you try it, basically. Yeah. So, it, and, and with your uh, potion, you have made it so that you don't have to wait that hour for your feeling to your feelings. Actually, I, if I do an edible, I can actually start feeling cannabis within a half hour. I think I, I don't know if it's my metabolism or something's just a little bit faster. Well, everybody, so, but, go ahead. Yeah. Everybody reacts differently, of course, but when you ingest 
non um, not nano yeah non nano emulsion cannabis. Mm-hmm. What happens is it takes a pretty long time for your body. Your body literally has to do the make it water soluble itself to get into your into your digestive system, basically. And that takes, in fact, a while. Now, all that is is completely different. What we did was I literally took did some experiments and had people drink alcohol wine. And then I started kind of a chart where I would calculate how high they felt over like at every 15 minute increments, Mm -hmm. because that curve was what I was shooting for to make the reaction the same. Yeah. And so so with this, the farms, this is from the pharmaceutical companies, you know, basically you're you're taking and you're shrinking down that that THC uh, distillate to such a small extent, it's got to be less than 100 nanometers, which a human hair is 100,000 nanometers. So you have to make it really small. So it passes through your small intestines, just like alcohol does. And that's what then your body doesn't have to convert it and make it water soluble. It just goes right in there. And so shooting for that curve that I knew exactly how I wanted it to work and exactly the size of the, of the distillate I need to get it. And so pretty much within 15 minutes, you can start to feel something and you're usually out of it in two to three hours with, which is exactly like alcohol. Okay. Um, that was my next question. Are you, yeah. are you like with an edible there for eight hours? No, no, no. And the reason, and the reason is, is because you're not taking, you don't have to take so much of it. Okay. You, you have a, you have a smaller um, amount in your bloodstream that acts quicker. When you take edibles, you keep taking, when you take a normal edible, you keep taking more and more of it. And then it just starts growing on you. And that's where people get into trouble because they get too hot. We've all had that happen to us. Yes, yes. That's what I was worried about. So if I drank a uh, glass of the wine or the or the other beverage, the margarita, the margarita. Uh-huh. I'm not going to be overwhelmed if I stay at the 10 milligrams because that's well, kind of where I live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I would say I would say that's the thing that the dosing of this is the key to taking edibles successfully. And if you don't do that, then, you know, you've got a problem. So, so you have to know your, everybody knows whether they, with alcohol, wine, say, for example, everybody knows whether I'm a one glass, a two glass, a three glass over what period of time, they know exactly how it's going to feel. But with, with a cannabis based beverage, they don't know, they don't have that information. So you always want to start slow. And once you have that information, then you'll know how to kind of dose yourself and work through it. The problem with a cannabis wine is a hundred milligram glass and a 10 milligram glass look exactly the same. So it would be like having a beer in front of you or a glass of vodka in front of you that looked identical. Right. And nobody would think, Oh, I can drink that glass of vodka and not have an issue. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so it's very important that as an individual cannabis user, that you kind of know your tolerances. And especially if you're a not an experienced cannabis user, you get that knowledge, just like you pro- we all probably did when we were much younger with alcohol. So we kind of knew how to tolerate the amount of alcohol we could handle over what period of time. Okay. okay. So I just heard a great tip from the creator. Yes. Because I would imagine that one who would choose this beverage uh, a appreciates the fact that they're not doing alcohol. Yeah. Also may appreciate a high over an alcohol high, a THC over an alcohol high. Uh, but most who are drinking wine are doing it in moderation. They're stimulating a conversation. They expect this to be a, a process uh, that they might go through for a while. So when I hear tips like that, uh, I think that's wise that we get to hear that from, again, the creator. Um, so, the big problems that you solved were the flavor, because I had shared with him, I've never tried de-alcoholized wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I never heard that term before speaking with Bill. The, the, the creating the flavor and overcoming the taste of the cannabis distillate is something I'm familiar with. And I'm really glad you found a way to overcome that. I thought to myself when I heard you describe that as as the high started to set on, even that flavor profile might enhance as it goes. But then you had uh, the conversation about the conversion process of THC 
as they go through your digestive system. Um, okay, well, let's bring this to you. You've, you've solved the critical pieces. Have you, have you gotten any feedback from current consumers, either by their, their comments back to you or through their buying purchase habits or, or anything that is, you know, that gives you data back from your consumers? Have you gotten anything? Oh, sure, sure. We're collecting a bunch of testimonials. I mean, I, I think people are happy to have a, a product like this. And, you know, the thing to re remember about this company is that we're actually not, not targeting, it's not that we're not targeting cannabis users, but we're also focused on alcohol users. So we're really trying to convert people from their alcoholic beverage to their cannabis beverage. Sure. And those are people that really need a bunch of education, okay, and are looking for something different um, in, in, in the aspect where, where I think cannabis, <clears throat> smoking cannabis is difficult for the average consumer. You know, you just don't, I mean, as a cannabis user, you do, but if you're, if you're a housewife, you don't go over to a bunch of other housewives' homes and smoke a bunch of cannabis, although you do do that, but generally it's a glass yeah. of wine, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're looking for the social aspect. You know, that's, that's the thing that this provides is there still can be a social aspect of it because everybody kind of feels like they know how to use a glass of wine, right? Yeah. Or, a, or a glass of margarita. And so you're just switching the active ingredient in it, but then the social aspect, the conversation, all that continues to remain. And so our target market is both the existing cannabis user and the future cannabis user, hopefully, that I can convert. Some of our biggest fans have been from the older Americans okay. you know, who like this uh, because they get the benefit, unlike alcohol, of not only feeling better, but also removing some aches and pains, having a good night's sleep, you know, all the traditional things that cannabis is known for, yeah. where the 70-year-old grandma is not going to want to light up a joint, you know, but she'll have a glass of wine. So, and, and then continue on that path. What are the, re what are other reasons that an alcohol user would convert over to this THC beverage? Well, I think the side effects, I mean, you don't have a hangover, right? Right. I would think that would be the first thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. What, what else have you, what else ha have you, considered as you built as you created this well well i mean cannabis the, the beautiful thing about cannabis is the, the the deleterious uh negative health effects of alcohol of liver damage and high blood pressure okay. and all that stuff does not uh exist and nobody's ever overdosed never never they've overdosed but they haven't died from cannabis from taking too much cannabis yep. where yep. that certainly is not the case with alcohol Absolutely. So, right. So that tells you right there yeah. that it's a it's a much um, healthier alternative than that. Then, you know, I mean, there might be some health benefits to alcohol, but I'm not aware of them. But the health benefits of cannabis, of course, are pain relief. Right. right. Um, a, a great night's sleep. People seem to do this right before bed. And in addition to that, the relief of anxiety in a bunch of people. Um, and kind of help the conversation flow. Yeah. So, so the natural benefits of cannabis are there without the, the deleterious effects of alcohol. Yeah. And all the still concerns are still there. You're, if you're going to drink you know, a bottle of this, you still have to find a driver. Yeah. So. But other than that, really, I mean, again, and I'm always in favor of not um, smoking something. Um, so that this is just, this all is right. right in line with all of us women. Beautiful. Thank you, Bill. Let, let's, let's keep <laughs> let's keep going. So now our listeners are going. Okay, this is a this is a nice opportunity mm -hmm. uh, to do a switch. Maybe you know get off of something that's been you know causing me less sleep and hangover and so forth. So let's get to the the how and it, like for instance cost. Sounds like to me this would be a lot more expensive because that's usually how products come into the market if they can solve a real problem. There's usually a price tag. What's our cost to it, Bill? It's very much uh, like a regular bottle of wine. I mean, I think the 750 milliliters, depending upon the amount of THC in it, is anywhere from 
retail right now $27 to 31 or something like that yeah. for the 750s. And then we've got the, the 187s, which would 187 milliliter, which is the small bottle, um, which is like an individual serving. And those are, you know, $10 plus or minus. All right. Dollars depending on the amount of THC. So these are, these are pretty similar to the cost of maybe grocery store wine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Perfect. That sounds great. There's another great one. And the calories, I read the calories are less, which is even better. Oh yeah. Right. The calories are about half of a glass of wine. Yeah. Ah, terrific. Terrific. And then, uh, Bill currently, where can this wine be acquired? Where, where can it be purchased? Right now it's only in Arizona okay. and we're, we're in about a half dozen dispensaries continuing to grow. All right. By the end of the year, we'll be in most of the dispensaries in the state, probably. By the end of the year. And go to the website and find the locations? Yes. Correct. All right. And we'll be sharing that website with everybody. Uh, so no worries there. Um, so let me, let, let's talk a little bit about your approach or your brand's approach to those who are unfamiliar or uncomfortable with THC. Okay. Um, or, well, or, or maybe just coaching to persuade them. Maybe this is something you should give a try to. Well, I think, I think the, I think the, the answer to that is <clears throat> this is a product that people that haven't used THC or cannabis before seem like they're familiar with because it looks and seems to act just like it's alcohol counterpart. So it's different if you, you know, it's different than, than um, smoking marijuana in either, you know, it's distillate form or in a, in a um, cigarette form kind of thing. You know, that's the, that's not, if you're, if you're an older adult, that's not the kind of thing you're going to walk into a dispensary and go, okay, you know, how do I do this? But when they see the bottle, they go, oh, I kind of know how to do that. Yeah. All right. So that overcomes some of their fear. All right. Now, once they've overcome that initiative, then the thing is, and we have little cards we give out with it to kind of coach them through determining their point of which, you know, like, like she was talking about, you know, she's 10 milligrams. Okay. Some people are 20 milligrams. Some people are five. I'm, I'm a lightweight. I'm five, but you know, I have friends that could be a hundred and still not feel anything. So you've got to understand that education part of it first. Then once you do, as long as we can provide a product that's consistent and it always reacts the same way, then that can, now we've got a consumer that's going to, you know, use that product and start to maybe wean a little bit away from alcohol in some of those situations where they currently only do alcohol. So, so that's the, the, the secret to this is that, um, that it looks like something they're familiar with. And I, and I think yeah. I told this story when we talk, the reason I came up with this idea was <clears throat> at, while, while I still had the dispensary, we were launching a, a vape print brand and we had exhibit, we were exhibiting up at the BizCon uh, um, trade show in, in Las Vegas. And we had a whole booth devoted to the vape pen, you know, the technology, all the different types, the strains, all that kind of stuff. And on a lark, I took a bottle of wine, of red wine, and put a cannabis label on it that I made up. And we had more response, and I put it in the corner, and we had more response to that one bottle of cannabis wine than the entire vape thing line we were trying to sell. Yeah. I mean, I got emails from literally around the world, because that was an international conference, of people wanting to know where they can get the wine. Can I get it in Portugal? Can I get it in Puerto Rico? Yeah. You know, so it... It was something that I recognized that resonated with people, and it was a need that they had that they didn't know they had. And of course, that's where all the successful biz businesses come from, is filling a need that the consumer doesn't even know they have. And that was an alternative to alcohol. Well, I, that was uh, a great idea. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree, Chris, yes. uh, Kimberly. I, I, I think he also cued into something, uh, the the consistency of the THC in each glass. And I think that conversation came up when Bill and I were talking about his testing protocols. And Bill, I, I believe that was the key 
uh, or your protocol heavily, heavily built, was built around that concept, I would imagine, outside of the regulations and regulatory requirements. Yeah, well, I, the, the, the secret was I, I was shooting for that alcohol curve, right? So that's what I, and the testing allowed me to, to compare that curve of our, of our product, how quickly people felt it and how high they got to it. And also I did that to traditional edibles as well. And traditional edibles, these were, we used a, a gummy bear basically. And those took anywhere from, and she may feel something in 30 minutes, but most people it's like an hour and a half to two and a half hours. And they're the highest they're gonna be in four hours. So that's a long time for something to take effect. Yeah. Um, but when we could mimic that curve of 15 minutes and then 30 minutes as high as you're going to get and, and keep that plateaued for a certain, once I knew I had that, then that was the, and the testing allowed us to do that. A side note of the testing, which I found also interesting, was that people that had eaten prior to taking the product got higher quicker and a little bit more than people that did not eat. So that's just the opposite of alcohol. Yes, yeah, it is. I would agree. Yeah. That's very interesting. I would have, yeah, I, I thought for sure I would have my glass of THC wine with no food, but yeah. food I'm, I'm thinking activates you just, it. You just, yes, uh, you just yes. hit another perk. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, I, I just want to share even before the break, we're getting ready to go on one, uh, that the website in which you could find out more about this product as well as find out the locations in Arizona to get it. Uh, it's called sweetdreamsvineyard.com. So sweetdreamsvineyard.com. Now, um, is there the ability to ship, Bill? No. Yeah, no. at this point, THC is still banned from from that okay do you see anything in the uh, future you probably do we'll, we'll we'll bring that up in the next the next section okay. i'm sure it'll surface okay yeah okay all right listeners we're going to take a short break for our sponsors and when we come back we're going to hear a little bit more about bill's journey and what he sees in the cannabis future so we'll be right back Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Live authentically, heal naturally with Canafil. We have three unique blends for pain relief, reducing stress, and promoting healthy sleep. Visit Canafil.com for the convenience of online shopping that includes free shipping. Or if you're in Arizona, stop by our store in Phoenix for personal consultation and product selection. Our friendly staff is here to help you. All of our products have full third-party testing and a seven-day satisfaction guarantee. Call 480-599-1003 or visit Canafil.com. Canafil, giving you your life back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to the CBD Ed Show. If you have a question that you'd like addressed on a future episode of our program, please send an email to info at the com. That's info at the com. Now, back to the CBD Ed Show. Welcome back, listeners, to the CBD Ed Show. Wow, impressive product we are talking about. Sweet Dreams Adult Beverages with THC. And I just want, for any listeners who want to hear that website again, sweetdreamsvineyards.com, where you can find the location. Now, let's continue to talk with Bill, since Bill has had a pretty interesting journey in the cannabis market. Uh, he ended with 
Sweet Dreams brand, uh, but has done a, a lot since starting that brand. Bill, what has, talk to us about your journey in the cannabis market. Okay, well, um, let's see, where should I start? Um, I think I think I told you this story that when I was taking the University of Phoenix public, um, we spent a lot of time in New York visiting the, the funds to uh, try and sell the issue, the IPO. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman that um, had founded the University of Phoenix uh, was an old gen- gentleman, and he was very, he was one of the instrumental players in getting cannabis, uh, the initiative on the ballot in California in the early 90s. No kidding. Yeah. All right. His name was John Sperling. And so when we went to New York uh, to sell the issue also in the early 90s, um, you know, I didn't have any do at night, so I would go to dinner with them. But they were the meetings were with him and George Soros and Peter Lewis and the Marijuana Policy Project. And that's where the whole idea got mapped out for um, legalizing it in California on a medical basis that approved. And it's also where I learned about all of the injustices and inequities um, in the laws with respect and the failure of the drug war, you know, and and the the racial um, inequities and who was incarcerated and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I had a pretty good cannabis education in that whole thing, because they were they were trying to figure out how to get this thing on the ballot, which of course they did, and it, it was approved, you know, and that whole thing. And now I, I really didn't do anything with that because I was pretty much, you know, uh, involved with the whole keeping the company on the on the tracks for the Nasdaq. Um, until I went to a cocktail party one night with uh, with John McCain's. Uh, wife's father i met him and he was he was he he was old (laughs) i can't remember yeah but he was pretty old but he he started the beer distributorship here in arizona uh right before prohibition and he was the one that said to me you know so you want the the, i it was when i was young i was in my 20s and he was like, okay, what you want to look for is a sea chain that's going to occur in the whole perception of the country and then get it, get in on that business prior to it actually occurring. So I just kind of always kept that in my, in my yeah. mind. Um, and when the, when the dispensary license came up for application here, I decided that would be a good time to, to uh, apply. And in fact, I was lucky enough to acquire a dispensary. And start that. And so that kind of started my my cannabis journey and the whole education. And the problem, of course, all cannabis entrepreneurs know is there's no having been this been an illegal operation for so many years. There's no manual on how to do any of this stuff. Right. right? There's nothing to look up. Here's the formula. Here's how you grow cannabis. You know, here's how you sell it. Um, Here's how you market it all that stuff we all had to kind of discover as we went along. And so that's exactly what happened is as, as I grew the dispensary and the grow and the rest of the business, I acquired all that, that knowledge as well. Pilgrims, pilgrims in a new market. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure you have plenty of stories with the, grayness of regulations and legalities and banking all those even i'm sure pleas and requirements of the of the dispensaries themselves i i i sat on the outside looking in uh but they looked like a handful of constant obstacles well it it, it was i think the thing that surprised me about it wasn't the obstacles it was the dishonesty of the Oh, the, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say the politicians, um, you know, I just wasn't used to, to that. I wasn't used to, uh, you know, you know, people not being up front. So for example, for example, when we were building out the dispensary, yeah, I'd have people knocking on the door, um, wanting to sell me illegal, uh, pounds of marijuana. Hey, I just brought a trunk back here from Colorado, you want to, uh, I got, I'll sell it to you for, you know, $500 a pound. 
It's a great deal. And, you know, I'm always like, look, I got millions of dollars in this thing. I'm not going to be interested in doing anything that jeopardizes my license. Well, months later, I come to find out all those were undercover police. Oh, my goodness. Trying to entrap me into something, having done something, you know, because because it would have made headlines. Right. And so so that was the part that that I just didn't quite. And even the politicians, you know, this is a very Republican state, a very red state. And so. um you know, cannabis is the evil weed here. Oh, yeah. Of right? course. Now, that that all has changed. In the last five years, that, of course, has changed. Um, but it was that kind of thinking and everything. I remember my, my, um, my co-worker and I went to go meet with the mayor of the city of Phoenix. Um, and because they were that they weren't even enforcing any of the the rules and policies with the police with respect to any of the cannabis rules and regulations that had to be followed, of course. And I felt that was in our best interest. And he said, his his comment to me was, we can't afford to, we're not getting any money. And when I said to him, do you realize we're paying $100,000 a month in sales tax to you? And we're one of 120, we're going to be one of 120 dispensaries. And all of a sudden he was like, what do you need? You know, so it was like it was just a difference. It, it took a while. That was the part I wasn't quite prepared for, where the level of vitriol and um, negativity and how, how scared they all were of it. Um, we our license, our license for this dispensary was in a really, really bad neighborhood in downtown Phoenix. This neighborhood, they called it the freezer because they found so many bodies in it. That was Wonderful. what the police called okay. this like three mile area. So when we got a license, the entire community showed up our, at, our, at our hearing or our, our uh, zoning hearing to protest us, right? And let's just say we single-handedly changed the neighborhood because we put cameras in, we called the police when we saw things going uh-huh. Not going well. We invited the police in. We got to know them. Um, they did start supporting things, and pretty soon, what happened was all of a sudden we noticed the buildings around us getting painted, because now it wasn't such a dangerous neighborhood because the the criminals were afraid to come near us because we had lights and cameras, and the police were friendly to us. So by the end of the by the end of the run here, after three years, I had built out this. Um, it was kind of like a big conference room because I, I was was on the board of the Arizona Dispensary Association and we held them. I did that so we could hold the meetings for all the dispensary owners in our facility. And um, by the end of the three year period, those same people that had protested our location wanted to come meet in and hold meetings in our in our facility to described to other parts of the city how to do the same thing that we had did in cleaning up the neighborhood. Perfect. Yeah. That that makes complete sense. That's a wonderful story. Yeah. It really is because, I mean, and even if you're in a high crime area, maybe if some of those people moved over to cannabis other rather than whatever drug they're currently doing, that, I don't know, I just feel like it would just be a, such a better environment. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think back when Bill was creating this, um, my my perception of the environment was the politicians had two agendas. One was to secure their voters. So there were a lot of people out there who had that existing that pre-existing feel on what THC was going to do, a gateway to heroin and so forth. But they also had to protect the money. Yeah. Uh, there was lots of channels of money flowing in and out that I think they feared that cannabis could disrupt. Well, and, and, and another good story about that is the city of Phoenix, once once it was known now that there was a lot of money involved in the deal, okay, the city council of Phoenix um, decided to pass a 10%, an additional 10% tax. I remember that. On just the, on just the, uh, the cannabis sales um, to the to, to the dispensaries, and it was a tax not to be paid by the by the consumers, but by the businesses. 
And so, of course, we would have had to pass those prices on it. That's 10%. That's a, that's a huge amount, right? Yes. Yes. And so they did this very sneakily. They, they did it by, um, I think it was on a Thursday, all of a sudden the appeared on the agenda that by next Tuesday, there was going to meeting where they're going to vote to pass this legislation, which was the minimum time frame to vet yep. any proposal like that. Right. So I got all the, the dispensary owners. We had a meeting that Saturday and we flooded the city council chambers with some 6,000 people who came down there just for this one issue. Right. Yep. Yep. And the thing started at nine and was to finish at one. And it was, they actually had to open up another room and, and move a TV over there so the other people could see it because there's too many freaking people while the news cameras were there and everything. And so they, they, they spent three hours and 50 minutes on all the other agenda items. And at the very end, they gave, they gave 10 minutes to this whole issue, right? And so they, they had previous to that spent 30 minutes themselves justifying about how they needed it because it was... There was so much uh, more policing required because all the mm -hmm. cannabis businesses were going to town. Of course, that was totally wrong with respect to the facts, right? Yep, yep. And so they gave three of us people, I think, like each two and a half minutes to speak, right? And so, so our lobbyist was able to get me a copy of the 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 staff report to the city council um, that showed that everything that they were saying was totally wrong. So I just stood up there and read the guy's report where he said, I know you're gonna say that this, it increases in crime, but you should know that all the studies indicate that crime decreases. You know, you, so the, all their justification for this money was totally unwarranted. And 10 minutes later, they took a vote with the audience in a total uproar and the, the, it failed. Everybody voted against it because yeah. they saw the publicity, the power of the people coming to the to the meeting is what yeah. changed their ability. They couldn't do it in the dark. Yep. Right. Couldn't do it in the dark. Good for you. Yes, that's, good what, for that's wonderful. That, yep, mm -hmm. that went up against that. That was terrific. Absolutely terrific. What do you, so you've been you've been in it for for a reasonably long period of time. You've probably participated in it enough to be able to. Stand as somebody we would all want to hear from, uh, from your perspective of how do you see cannabis evolving over the next ten years? Well, I think it's I think it's a it's a pattern that's occurred in many industries and and, and many businesses. And right now we're still in this very early stage formation. I mean, when I first uh, got the dispensary, um, I was one of the only kind of real business people in it. The other people that had the dispensaries were pretty much not, I wouldn't call them hobbyists, but they didn't have the business ex experience to really run a, a large operation, you know? And so that, that now that's gone, you know, now we have the MSOs, the multi-state operators, we have more experienced people, but it's still kind of a, a, a mom and pop operation to a certain extent. But I think that is going to change when the Safe Banking Act passes in Congress. And now the, the money managers and all the funds will be able to invest uh, in cannabis companies. And that will bring a lot larger amount of money into the industry. And the way this thing, I think, will shake out is, as I told you, I think is like the alcohol and spirits industry, where you have a half dozen really big players the Mandavis, the Julio Gallos, you know, those guys are doing billions of dollars. And then you have 10,000 smaller wineries, distilleries, those people all having a niche and a brand. Okay. So that's where I'm headed. Cause I, so that will insulate sweet dreams from the larger players will just be a niche brand in that marketplace. Now, having said that being a niche brand, you could still be, you know, that, that's a $100 million company would be a niche brand. Yeah. It's never going to be a $50 billion company, but it could be certainly multi-million dollar companies in that area. And especially at my age, I just want something that's fun. Right, right. So and that does make sense. Yeah. Right. Now, the Safe Banking Act. Now, I know uh, I know it's been passed by Congress, I don't know, four times now. 
Uh, I know. Well, it's been passed by the House, not by not by, by, the, by the House. Yes. Well, thank you. And I know right now it's on the calendar. I think it it was put on there with the um, what was the bill? The bill for uh, uh, competition. Uh, it does matter. Yeah, but uh, it's still it's still the House. Okay. Okay. Still the House. Do do you uh, do you have any predictions? Maybe on well, to the, sooner or later it's going to pass, but sooner or later, two thirds of the people in this country are now supporters of cannabis. Yeah, in 1972, 6% of the country was yeah. okay. supportive of cannabis. So, so it's all changed. You know, everybody acknowledges now the war on drugs was a total failure. And, um, you know, and John Ehrlichman, if you can remember from the Nixon days, indicated why Nixon, um, Nixon wanted the war on drugs because he wanted to get back at the hippies. Right. He hated them because he felt that the, they were the war, the draft dodgers that, that got him in so much trouble during that time period. Okay. So it was a total failure. And earlier than that, in the 30s, you know, they were all afraid of him because they thought it was a crop that was going to put some major industries out of business. I mean, Henry Ford at one time was going to make the bodies of cars out of pressed, compressed hemp. And then the steel companies gave a lot to the to the guy to start the whole, you know, the the whole uh, reefer madness campaign and all that. So, so it will eventually pass with two thirds of the people in this country supportive of cannabis. Now, I just have no idea when that's going to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I I would keep an eye on it almost on a weekly basis. Now, I I, I turn to it once a month, once a quarter, <laughs> just to. Uh, just to see if it has moved, but I know it will move as well. And I think a lot of things will shake up as soon as it does. Uh, Bill, your perspective, why will, why will things start moving once that bill is passed? Well, because then, then that will open up the capital markets, the New York stock exchange, the NASDAQ, you know, right now, most of these funds can't invest in cannabis companies because it's illegal federally. Yeah. Right. So they can't do it. So they can't put any money behind it. Um, you know, that's why any investment that's occurring now is going on in Canada on the Canadian Stock Exchange, not on the NASDAQ. Um, and so once that happens and then it, everything becomes above board, then everybody will take a much serious, more serious look. You've got to realize that right now, all of the major companies, the tobacco companies, the the distilleries, all these companies are eyeing, you know, the cannabis market, but they can't get into it until it's federally legal. Basically. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's what's going to change. And then my prediction is then you'll have half a dozen of these companies have the lion's share of business and a bunch of small niche companies. Yeah, that does make sense. One of the things we hope uh, will come from uh, the Safe Banking Act getting passed is clinical research. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that'll get funded. Uh, I would imagine that, uh, and you can chime in on this. That once the Safe Banking Act does pass, I would imagine some of the regulatory and and legal entities will have to come together. FDA and and DEA, they're going to have to figure that out and and start putting in their 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 processes. Yeah, and if you think about, you know, there's a lot of big players now opposed to cannabis. Um, some you wouldn't think of. Like, for example, the private prisons, you know, they're they're very much opposed to cannabis, right? Because half of the marijuana convictions are half of the drug convictions since since or half of the convictions in total are are drug related okay. and marijuana. Yeah. Related. So they're going to lose a bunch of business. Uh, uh, all right. So so, you know, there's a lot of forces against this right now. And, and I don't I honestly don't think it's the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, you know, I have no knowledge, no no private knowledge, but yeah. I don't think it's the pharmaceutical companies. I think they'd like to have some other, uh, they'd like to get their hands on some of these cannabinoids without all the hassle that it goes with to try testing some of this stuff yeah. and the research to get done. I think they want to do this because we all know that it has some tremendous benefits if it's applied the right way. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and they've, they've already dabbled in uh, natural alternatives. And I think uh, they they probably are in a space where they need to work hand in hand with uh, nutraceuticals because the pharmaceuticals is kind of getting a bad rap lately 
from, yes. from my perspective. Yes. All right, Bill, we've got to wrap up, but I still want to be able to, uh, again, share uh, a final on your product, Sweet Dreams, uh, and that if they were to go to the website, sweetdreamsvineyard.com, they could find out more about the product as well as uh, the locations where they could pick it up. Uh, and I really want to express how grateful that you shared your time with us and the listeners today uh, on both the great product you brought to the market and your perspective on the future of cannabis. Thanks, Ed. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Yes. So, thank you, Bill. That was really, I really liked this whole episode. <laughs> I, I did as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Bill. Uh, and for our listeners, uh, we want to thank you for tuning in today. Remember, we're trying to grow our audience. You make sure you share these, these podcasts. Uh, so we also want to share with you that next week's show is going to be about THC and youth. So there is a movement out there. Kimberly, what was that movement called? Save the Brains. All right. So we're going to give you a little bit more details behind that, always from a clinical, verifiable place. Yes. All right. Okay. So that's the wrap for today's show. Uh, this is Ed. And this is Kim. Thank you very much. Bye now. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the CBD Ed Show. Please join your host, Ed Cheney, for another edition next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We can also be heard each week on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, enjoy the upcoming weekend, and we'll be back with you soon. 